Well, for the last couple of weeks, we have been in um, a sermon series just walking through the book of Philippians. And this week, I get the pleasure of um, sharing with you from probably one of the most famous passages in Scripture. I mean, this passage was most likely uh, something that was passed down, was spoken before there even was a written word. And so we're going to spend time today in um, Philippians 2, 5 through 18, and it is on your handout. So you can either follow along on the handout, you can pull out your Bible or your phone, however you want to follow along. But before we get into the scripture, picture in your mind someone that you look up to. Maybe someone you aspire to be like. Do you have that that picture of that person or character? What are some attributes of that person? Is it maybe good job, nice house, money or, or success or whatever success means to you? Maybe they know how to win others over. Maybe they're like super charming and you want to have that personable uh, quality as well. Maybe they have power and influence or they have the position that you want. Uh, Maybe they're strong. Maybe they're famous. I don't know who you're picturing, but in every generation, there are heroes, role models, the ones that everyone looks up to. They have the power and the influence and, and control, and everyone wants to be like them. And almost every generation, if you go through history, that person kind of looks the same. It's, it's someone with strength, money, power, position, um, political influence or persuasion. Uh, before Paul, who wrote the book of Philippians in 300s BC, there was, you know, Alexander the Great. We all know Alexander the Great because he was great. He could, he like took over most of uh, the Mediterranean, Northern African world, and um, he had all this power and influence and success. He died when he was 33. I'm 32, so that feels really young. <laughs> um, but he was, he was in power for 13 years, and over that course, he was so great and influential. He gathered so much for himself and for his kingdom that when he died, well, before he died, he, you know, suggested this to the people, that he should be known as a god, that he should be called divine. And so that was kind of, we passed that down. We can see that as emperors and rulers after him, they were known as uh, divine, as gods, because they had this power and influence. And, you know, everyone wants to be like Alexander the Great, the guy who came after him. He was really well-known and well-liked because he stopped the wars. There were a lot of war, civil wars going on, and so he kind of put an end to that. There was some peace. He also wanted to be known as a god now, just like the guy before him. And we see this in every generation. We have these, these people, these heroes that we look up to. Now, I am currently watching. I'm a little bit behind, but I'm watching... Uh, Falcon and Winter Soldier. Is I is it Winter Soldier and Falcon or Falcon and Winter Soldier? Falcon and Winter Soldier. So it's great. You know, I'm really getting into it. And I don't want to give anything away. So I'm not going to give anything away if you're a Marvel fan or if you haven't seen him yet and you want to at some point. 
But Captain America is that hero, right? Like, if you've seen any of the Marvel movies, you know that Captain America is this guy. He's got the strength. He's got the personality. He can win others over. He always makes the right decision, right? Like, that's kind of what we're stressing in Falcon and Captain Falcon and Winter Soldier. Captain America always makes the right decision for that time. Strong. Um, he's got the position and the fame and the influence. So who wouldn't want to be Captain America? Well, we need a new Captain America for reasons I won't name. And some guy tries to be Captain America. In my opinion, it's not going so well. But anyways, in today's world, right, like we're, we're always looking for that person who we can look up to, that person who can be strong and be the good influence and that we can all aspire to be like. We need that hero to look up to. You know, but we're looking for the same thing. We're looking for people with power, position, and influence, and this is what we think it means to be successful. Even to the point of believing that that's what God wants for us. That, that if, if, we, um, if we're good, if we follow God, that God will give us that influence, that power, that position. But I think when we turn, when we look in scripture, we find something a little bit different. We're jumping into, in the middle right here in chapter 2, we're jumping into the middle of a section. So I want to remind us what we talked about last week. I want to go back to chapter 2, verses 1 through 4. So I'm going to read it. You don't have it in front of you necessarily, so I'm going to read it. Listen closely. It says, If you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any fellowship with the Spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and purpose. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility consider others better than yourselves. Each of you should look not only to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. I swear this is not a vaccination commercial. It is just what scripture says, okay? So Paul wants us to know how to live in community with one another. He's instructing us, do nothing out of selfish ambition. Be united. Have the same love. Be humble. Don't look to your own interests, but the interests of others. This is how we live in community with one another as Christians. So now I want to walk through verses 9 through 11. Now on your paper, it's kind of in paragraph form, but this is really a poem it's, it's ancient poetry that would have been recited. We said the Lord's Prayer earlier. This would have been recited just like that, memorized and said, and this is really the foundation of our faith. Part of our creeds, both, both the Apostles' Creed and the Nicene Creed, come from this passage right here. So Paul says, you know, he's instructing us how to live in community. Your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus. And now we all recite together. I'm just kidding. You don't remember. So the attitude of Christ Jesus is this. Who, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, 
that the name of Jesus, that at the name of Jesus, every knee, sh- knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Can you picture that? Can we just, you know, picture saying who Jesus is? This is one of the things, you know, when you, when you become a Christian, one of the things that we all have to answer is, who is Jesus? Who is Jesus to me, and what does that mean about my life? And Paul, as we'll see in the second half of this section, everything is practical to him. This is deep, rich theology that for centuries people have argued over and tried to perfect and understand. And even though it's mysterious and we really can't get to the root of what even happened when God became human, we still try to because that's who we are. This rich, deep theology, Paul is like, it can't stop there. It has to influence the way we live. Being the same, our attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus. And who is Christ Jesus? So I want to walk through, I had this really great commentary that um, just like said every it like broke down every Greek word, which I didn't take Greek. I was one of those lucky ones that didn't have to, got through seminary without it. But this is what um, William Barclay, he said in this commentary. This is what he said about this. Um, Joe just texted me right while I was in the middle of this, of course. Someone's giving him a hard time about wearing jeans at church. Anyways, because um, he's preaching somewhere else. All right, so William Barclay, before we get into the Greek in this, he says that, He says this about this passage. He says, In many ways, this is the greatest and most moving passage Paul ever wrote about Jesus. It states a favorite thought of his. The essence of it is in the simple statement Paul made to the Corinthians that, Although Jesus was rich, yet for our sake he became poor. 2 Corinthians 8 9. For our sake he became poor. Here, that simple idea is stated with a fullness which is without parallel. Paul is pleading with the Philippians to live in harmony, to lay aside their discords, to shed their personal ambitions and their pride and their desire for prominence and prestige, and to have in their hearts that humble, selfless desire to serve, which was the essence of the life of Christ. His final and unanswerable appeal is to point to the example of Christ. As Christians, that is our life, right? That's what we do every Sunday. If you... If you're in church, hopefully the final appeal of every pastor is to live by the example of Christ. That's why we come to church, to learn what that looks like. So I want to walk through this. What does it look like? Who is Christ? So verse 6. It talks about the being and the nature of God. And in this um, passage, it talks about the being and the nature that's talking about his form, this form of Jesus. And the Greek word here for form, uh, there's two different Greek words. What you have to know about Greek is that like, it never translates well into English because in English we have one word, and in Greek there's probably like five words for that one word. So we translate them all the same, but they all have different meanings. And so here there are two meanings for, fo- there are two words for form. One is like morph, and it's, it's where you never change. That's, that's who you are. It's the essence of who you are. It's your, your being. It doesn't change. And then there's schema. 
And schema means that you change from time to time. The example that Barclay used was like, you go from a baby to a child, to a young adult, to an adult, to elderly. You know, like your being has changed over that course of time, but you never stop being a human. In essence, we are all human but the outward appearance might change from time to time. And so in this passage, when he says his being and his nature, the word that's used here is morph. It's the one that never changes. His outward appearance changed when he goes from God to human, but his essence never changed. He's still always God. That's where we get in the creed. Um, I should have looked up the creed. But in the creed, it talks about that. He's like always God, fully human, fully divine. That's what it says, fully human, fully divine. He did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. He was God, right? Like Jesus is God, and still he's like, I can't take advantage of that. I have to go, and I have to put myself out there for the world. So he didn't exploit that godlike, which we see in these heroes, right? Like we see in Alexander the Great. He's like, oh, well, I can be God, which means exploitation. Or we see that in other um, great rulers over time that want to think of themselves as divine. We see people even now. We have politicians. We have business people. We have people with power and influence and instead of, you know, not using that um, to their own advantage, they take advantage of that and they exploit those around them. But Jesus not doing that. Rather, he made himself nothing. In some translations it says, rather, he emptied himself. And the word here is kenosis, or the, the, the action here is kenosis. The word um, emptied is kenone. It means like you empty a, cont a container so that there's nothing left in it. And Paul here is trying to use the most vivid word possible to make it clear the sacrifice of the incarnation. I think of uh, the message translation where uh, John 1 uh, uh, it writes, uh, God moved into the neighborhood. That's what we think about incarnation. And I'm like, thinking about that this morning, I'm like, that seems a little too nonchalant, God moving into the, to the neighborhood. You know, like, this was a huge sacrifice. It, was, it wasn't just moving across the street or down the road, but this was emptying himself of everything that he had. In ancient Greek, they had these gods that would become human, but they still had all of their god power, which is kind of like Captain America, you know, superhuman. But that wasn't Jesus. You know, he came as, as a human, and he lived among us and was able to go through pain and suffering like us by taking the very nature, again, nature, it's the same word, morph, uh, human. In this, in this sentence, it's human, of a servant. Um, and being God to Jesus meant committing to this course meant committing to becoming human for the sake of humans. Verse 8, it says, And being found in appearance, or likeness, as some translations say, as a man, he humbled himself by being, becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. That appearance um, in, that, in that sentence right there is the word schema. So it was uh, his nature was human and both and divine, um, his appearance became human and able to, and it changed. This is what it meant to be divine for Jesus. To be humble and to become obedient to death, even death on a cross. This self-sacrificing 
self-giving love. Again, Paul is reminding us and teaching us about what it means to, to live in community. He says, have the same attitude of Christ, this self-sacrificing, self-giving love for others. Barclay writes that the hallmarks of a Christian life are humility, obedience, and self-renunciation. He also says that selfishness, self-seeking, and self-display destroy our likeness to Christ. Selfishness, self-seeking, and self-display destroy our likeness to Christ and our fellowship with each other. I just want that to sink in. You know, we're, we are human, and for us, that doesn't mean that, you know, we don't have that. We're not God. We are human. We do have um, these desires, but as we grow in the likeness of Christ, that movement towards Christ is towards humility, obedience, and self-renunciation. It's not about us. And that's what this next section is about, verses 9 through 11. Because it wasn't about, God, about Jesus, Jesus came to the earth for the sake of us. He was rich, yet he became poor for our sake. And because he did it for the glory of God, Jesus was always pointing to God. If you look anywhere in scripture, he was always pointing to God. He wanted people not to focus on what he was doing, the miracles that he was doing, but to focus on who God is and that these miracles displayed God's love for the people. And so because of that, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name. Gosh, there's so much to say about this. But what I want to get at is that what happens here is that when we experience this kind of self-giving, self-sacrificing love that Jesus displayed on the cross through incarnation, through his life and his ministry, through the cross, all that we can do is worship. When we stop and think about it, when we stop and think about how much God loves us, how much God has provided for us, that God came to earth just to show his love for us, all we can do is worship. There's a hymn that's called um, When I Survey the Wondrous Cross, and one of the lines it says, Love so amazing, so divine, demands my life, my soul, my all. So when, when we see this self-sacrificing, self-giving love, one, all we can do is worship. And then the next thing is we give our life to doing that same thing, to being self-sacrificing, self-giving, loving those around us as we love God. Again, like I said early on, for Paul, like theology didn't mean anything unless it moved to the practical, unless it moved to how we live our life. And so, you know, in your own time, because I'm not going to do that here for you, which is actually what Paul says, but in your own time, you know, what does that section about who Christ is, what does that mean for you? What does that look like for your life? In verse 12, Paul goes on, he says, therefore, he says, because of what I just said, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. 
Now, sometimes this is confused. This is like, oh, well, I guess we have to do all the work and we have to like pull ourselves up by the by our bootstraps and God will, um, you know, give to those who help themselves, which is in, in scripture. But what he says, again, Greek is messy when it's translated into English. The word here for work out, it means bring to completion. It means don't stop. You're almost there. Don't stop halfway through. Like keep running, keep going, keep thinking about it. Keep uh, trying to live your life by the example of Christ. He says, don't stop. Continue to work it out to completion. And the fear and trembling, it's, it's not this fear and trembling out of uh, like we're afraid of who God is if we don't do this. But he's saying, take it seriously. That's what he means. You know, when, when, we're, when we are um, taking something seriously, you know, we're more afraid of what happens if we don't do it than we are if we do it. We're more afraid of how we might hurt those around us or we might break God's heart if we don't do this than if we do. So he says, continue to work out your salvation, bring it to completion, and take it seriously. Figure out what this means for you practically. It says, for it is God who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfill his good purpose. It's because God does the work in us. Now, just like grace, grace is a free gift. Salvation is a free gift for all of us. But when you give a gift, someone has to receive it, right? So God did all this work on the cross, brought salvation to the whole earth, and our responsibility, how we continue to work it out in seriousness is we accept that gift of salvation from God who did that. And God will fulfill his good purpose in us. It says, do everything without grumbling or arguing. i got to remember that one. Um, so that you may become blameless and pure, children of God, without fault in a war- warped and crooked generation. Then you will shine among them like stars in the sky as you hold firmly to the word of life. And then Paul will be able to boast on the day of Christ. I kind of go, go down these rabbit trails in my head like the world is ending right now. You know, like things just seem so terrible. There was a light at the end of the tunnel, and now things are getting worse. And, you know, there's just people in this world that are doing crazy things, and I feel so out of control, and like nothing is ever going to get better. And I read uh, a couple weeks ago this um, psalm came up. In my reading, it's Psalm uh, 4, verse 6. And I was like, this is, this is where we are. This is, this, is what, this is what we're all saying. Psalm 4, verse 6 says, Many are asking, who can show us any good? <laughs> That's how I feel. Like, where is there good in the world? What is happening? It seems like everything is just going wrong. But then the psalmist continues, let the light of your face shine upon us, O Lord. And what I was praying about that morning was that, you know, like all of us are asking that, like where is the good in the world? But it's really only God who can show that through us. And Paul says that here. He says, then you will shine among them like stars in the sky. When we have the same attitude and mind of Christ when we live without selfish, selfish ambition and desires, when we think of others before ourselves, people will notice. 
The world can change through us when we live in community like this, when we give ourselves for the sake of others. God can shine through us in this, in this world that seems like it's going crazy. And then, you know, not only does Paul get to boast because he's kind of writing to us too. I mean, that's crazy gener- generations and how much this has been passed down. But he says that, you know, at the last verse, verse 18, you know, he can boast and he, he's, he's about to give his life for the sake of the gospel. He's sitting in prison writing this letter, probably going to be executed any day, giving his life for the sake of the gospel. And he said, I am glad and rejoice with all of you. So you too should be glad and rejoice with me. This self-sacrificing, self-giving love, when we think about it, in theory, we're like, oh, then I have to give up stuff. I have to go talk to people that I don't want to talk to. I can't just hoard all of this for me. I can't only do what I want or what's convenient for me. When we pour ourselves out like Christ did for others, the end result is joy. This, the, um, this last this next couple of verses in this Psalms, it says, You have filled my heart with greater joy than when their grain and new wine abound. I will lie down and sleep in peace for you alone, O Lord, making me dwell in safety. Everywhere when, when in Scripture, when it's talked about us sacrificing ourselves, always the end result is joy. And so as we keep going through Philippians, we, we have some you know, Paul, this is, what, this is such a rich book, which is why we're doing it. But Paul wants us to know that living in community, being in the likeness of Christ, always brings about joy in our life. Let's pray. God, you have set for us an example that without you would be impossible without your love and your grace and the work that you do in us, without the the community that you've put around us, it would be impossible. God, I'm grateful that, um, that we have this example, that we have this written down, and also that we have ways to practice this, that every day we come up against people that are difficult to love and we come up against decisions choosing between ourselves and those around us. I pray that even more that we would take this seriously, that we would, we would continue to grow more and more in the likeness of you, and that as a community we can strive to do this together without discord and without um, manipulation, without um, contention, because you're among us. We thank you for your word, for the example of Christ most importantly for the sacrifice that he gave on the cross. All we can do is worship and praise you. In Jesus' name, amen.